Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Lives podcast. The show that explores life purpose by taking you on a journey into different people's unique and somewhat squiggly worlds. We're your hosts, Helena and Claire. In this episode, we chat with Lily Harrison. Lily is a Pilates teacher, mother and artist, among many other things. We talk in great depth about meditation, including Lily's personal journey with it, how to start meditating, and what may arise as a result. We also cover topics such as motherhood, art, creative pursuits, and becoming the true version of yourself. Lily was an absolute inspiring woman to talk to, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Lily. Thank you for coming on. Let's start with where we first met, which was on a meditation teacher training. And for well for as long as I've known you which is over 10 years now or about 10 years you have just you've had a consistent meditation practice and I think for quite a long time before that as well so let's start do you want to give a bit of well a bit of background about yourself and also your meditation practice sure well thank you for having me as I was saying a little bit earlier, it feels very self-indulgent to talk about myself. Um, but yeah, meditation is one of my big passions in life. It's something that I don't see myself dropping. Um, there are two things that I love, Pilates and meditation, and they, they are food for my soul. And no matter what kind of a day I'm having, as long as I get one meditation in on that day, I just feel that I go through the day a little bit more consciously a little bit more presence and awareness and I'm not in reaction mode I can respond a little bit and um, I can take a step back when I need to so I really I really enjoy my meditations and um, the first meditations I ever did were from the master key system I don't know if you've heard of the master key system no I haven't but I came across this material, my brother passed it to me, and um, it was talking about how you manifest your life. It was almost like a manifesto of how to create your life, which was very new to me at the time, because this was even before The Secret became quite popular, Rhonda Burns. And um, I didn't get through the entire manual. There were, there were like 10 parts to this manual, and I only looked at part one. The reason why I didn't get to part two is because you had to be able to meditate for up to an hour. And at that time, my idea of a meditation was sitting really bolt upright, not breathing, um, trying to control my thoughts and not focus on all the pain in my body. And I would do maybe three minutes and then just think that was horrendous. I'm never doing that again. So that was my start of meditation where I couldn't understand what, why people did it, why it felt good, because all I felt was massive amounts of pain in my body. And um, so after the master key system, I dismissed it as um, one of those things that I would never be into and I didn't quite get it until I came across a meditation teacher. So one of my good friends introduced me to Alex and he was Alex um, Filmelodge. He was my meditation teacher for the training where I met Claire. So I, I, um, 
started to have group sessions with Alex on a Sunday where he talked about his spiritual journey and he looked at different themes, you know, the little eyes and looking at yourself and these um, projected personalities that we have in different situations. And to be honest, none of it really made sense, but I felt a sense of loyalty to go with my friend. There was something on a very deep level that was getting nourished by that. And there's something on the superficial level that didn't get it. I had complete resistance and I just felt like square peg round hole. I just didn't really get what these people were talking about, but I kept going anyway. <laughs> so I kept going. It is one Sunday a month. And, um, and it got to the point where I was beginning to feel good when I was there and when I left and we were going through guided meditations and the guided meditations made a little bit more sense than the ones that I tried to do on my own. And that was the start of my journey. Um, and from that point, I found I could sit without pain more frequently. I felt that there was a calmness that was coming into my, coming. I was almost um, sampling bits of calmness in these meditations and um and I wanted to delve into it more deeply so that was the beginning of the journey and what do you think changed or clicked what for you so what was it was it one moment or was it gradual like what was it and also in the back of your head when you said you you kept going for, for some like you wanted to keep this practice up at the time there was a big divide between what I would say is my normal life and this kind of secret mystical life that mm. I was delving into and I was a bit ashamed of it because I didn't see myself as a spiritual person I hate that label mm. <laughs> and and it was very opposite to um the relationship I was in at the time I was married you know to my ex-husband and and there was, he almost didn't like that side of me. So I kept it compartmentalized. I kept it separate and I kept it hidden from family, friends, apart from this one friend where I felt safe to go on the Sunday and share this experience with her. So yeah, I kept that part of my life as a separate bit and it wasn't integrated. Mm. So there was a shameful pleasure in it that I couldn't talk about or really verbalize but I knew something was happening internally some shifts were being made and I liked it but it also felt very rebellious as well because it was totally against the the slipstream that I was swimming in at the time and from starting your meditation practice and those first classes to tracing to where you are now today can you see are there any like marked changes or like any key changes that you're like that came from my consistent meditation practice or whether it's internal things or emotional things or external things are there any you could say aha that was you know largely from stemmed from my meditation practice or is it more of a uh, unclear part that's, of it that's a really big question because 
I can, there were lots of micro changes that I was aware of, but there were these landslide shifts going on in me. And um, I suppose one of the main things um, was trauma healing. So I was aware that there were patterns that I'd adopted from being very young that weren't serving me as an adult, people pleasing for one. Um, I would people please to find a connection with someone um, because I didn't feel safe being myself and I didn't trust that I'd be liked if I showed my authentic self. So I realized I had acquired this personality um, from these experiences in my earlier life that worked when I was younger. But when you start to come into yourself and you start to align with your creative, spiritual, intellectual side of yourselves, it's like two oceans coming together, cold and hot. There's a there's this friction. There's this you know density there that you have to to get through. And so all there were the micro changes that were happening, but these huge shifts I couldn't explain, but I, there was an intuition that it was a good thing and to keep going, even when at times I felt like I was in the washing machine because thoughts, feelings, emotions would come up and I, and I didn't know where they'd come from, but I knew that I had to move through them. So I was changing, you know, I wasn't, um, I wasn't as emotionally reactive up and down and all over the place I wasn't people pleasing um I was accepting that th some things were scary but I was doing them anyway whereas before I, I was a massive procrastinator and I was self-sabotage I was doing that less it's almost like a, a some the cogs were in motion and I couldn't stop them and at times, you know, it wasn't easy. It was really unpleasant because there's stuff coming up. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to experience that. I don't want to see that. But you can't push it back down. So those aspects of the journey were difficult, but the meditation was like a rock. So no matter what was going on and all that washing machine, the, you know, the storms around me, I held on to the meditations and just trusted I could move through that space. And I did. So where I am now meditating compared to where I started, it's it's night and day. There's, you know, I'm a completely different person to the person I was then. Wow. And maybe you could say a little bit about the type of meditation that you do and if it's always been one type or if you've shifted and changed because probably for a lot of people listening and certainly myself as well there's so many types of meditation out there um, and it can be just in the first place just choosing the type and sticking with it um, is quite a thing in itself yeah exactly I think uh, before I found Vedic meditation, I would do Alex's meditations, which are from Sufism. And they, they were very nice. I mean, there was womb meditation, sun and moon meditation. They, diff they have different qualities and different aspects. And I liked them. But the thing with the, the Vedic meditation that got me hooked is that I could feel that 
um, things that happened, you know, we, we experienced life, you've got the layers and the experiences are trapped between the layers of the onion. The Vedic meditation starts to lift things out. So it bubbles off your, nerv your nervous system. And I just wasn't getting that level of depth from jumping around with other meditations. So I found that if I didn't do the Vedic meditation, I maybe did a guided meditation online, or maybe I did a Joe Dispenza meditation. It wasn't quite the same traction and momentum that I was getting from the Vedic meditation. So I made the decision that I would commit to the Vedic meditation twice a day, every day for a period of time and see if I felt like shifting my allegiance down the road. But I, even now, I feel that the depth that I get, the stuff that bubbles off is just so deep. It's almost like it's gone beyond this life now. And it's stuff that's coming up from even older stuff. So I, I still haven't got to the stage where I'm I'm willing to, to let go of that because I can feel the depth and the momentum and traction from committing to that practice. I just wondered when you meditate, do you ever, do you have something specific that you want to work on? Or when you say stuff bubbles up or you worked through your issue with people pleasing and meditation helped, was it meditation that showed you that you need to work on on that and that the meditation can help or did did you think okay I'm people pleasing too much or I have this issue that I want to work on and I'm going to use my meditation practice to work through it so what or was it a combination sort of of the two I'd say I'm a quite lazy person I think creative people are lazy because we, as a society, we judge laziness as not being productive, not doing your checklist to do things. But as a creative person, you need space in the day to do nothing where you can lie in a bed and you can stare at a crack on the ceiling and you're not thinking about repairing the crack. Maybe there's a roof leaking or maybe I need to paint the wall, but you go into a zone that's just very... I don't know, free and blissful and you might just catch a bird in the window and you're thinking about the movement of the bird or you're thinking about what's the bird doing today and and we we don't champion that in our society which I find really sad because as a creative person you almost need that as a point of reference to where you're going on your journey and if you don't allow it you almost get constipated or you get in a flap where your energy's all over the place but not going anywhere and I've forgotten my point Claire <laughs> no that we need yeah. space it's a really good point that we need space oh, yes. in society because yeah what do I yeah. work on in rotation we'll agree yeah. with you we we tend to value that busyness and the to-do list yes yeah. but the lazy space is a space where the magic happens and whenever I've allowed myself what I call the lazy space <laughs> I I get amazing um channeling of inspiration come down I might picture a poem or I'll see a painting that I want to do or I'll picture a place in the world that I really want to go to so when I say I'm lazy I, I almost apply that in my meditation I never go into my meditation with a 
an agenda. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going in purely just let me just close my eyes, say my mantra and go to that space. And see what comes up. I'm not even, you're not even I'm seeing no intention, that. right? Uh, yeah, I'm just like, let me get to that crack on the ceiling. Okay. And there's no, yeah, there's no intention. It's just purely, you feel your eyeballs flip back. And I know that once that's the sweet spot, that's like, yeah, I don't need to be anywhere, do anything. I'm just there. And I, I love that. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes memories come up. Sometimes if there's a difficult situation, I'm chewing on it like a dog with a bone and I can't, I can't get that out of the meditation. Those meditations are really challenging because I want the eye flip and the crack on the ceiling. But, you know, you get what you get. You don't get to choose what your meditation's about. It's just showing up. It's literally showing up with no... I mean, you can do meditations with intentions and agenda. That's a whole different thing. For the purpose of Vedic meditation, it really is just showing up and being as neutral and as unattached as possible and allowing the nervous system to just bring up what it wants to bring up because there's always a relevance to that. There's always a a higher uh, intuition or a higher management that knows what it's doing and it's just handing that over and then so there's almost a surrender yeah to surrender what is. yeah okay and then if there is a lot coming up for you do you then is it do you process it at the time or because everyone always there's this idea of meditation you meant to you know, a thought comes up, you let it go completely straight away. Um, but how, yeah, how is the processing of everything coming up dealt with? Do you process the time or is it a gradual thing after your meditation practice stops? Perhaps you then reflect back on it or you, um, yeah, continue the, the processing of, what, you know, whatever you have to deal with from then on. Do you, if, you, if that makes sense, I don't know. But is there yeah. a letting go immediately as all this stuff is coming up within you during the meditation, or is it a yeah kind of a, a continued process? I mean, in life, sometimes you know you're in a conversation, you say the wrong thing, you go away and beat yourself up, or you're in a conversation and you feel like you've smashed it and you just come out with something that's really flowing and inspiring you go away feel good similar thing in meditation sometimes things come up and you have the awareness to go let this come up don't panic it's okay it's just going to come up and I'm going to get some feelings and just stay with it and just stay with it and hold it and give it space but some days you don't do that. Some days you go, oh my God, oh my God, I don't want to deal with that today. That can go back down. It's life. It's the same with meditations. There's no, there's no perfection to it. Maybe one day something comes up, you're not quite in the space to deal with it. So you'll resist it and you'll push it down and maybe it won't come up again for a while. It might not come up for a month or six months or a year, but that's okay. You know, that's just where you are as a human being in that moment in space, even in meditation. And other times things come up and you don't expect it to come up and and you'll be surprised that you're quite happy to just hold those feelings there and not try and push them away or resist them. 
yeah but then there's there's a humbling there's there's a humbleness to that there's not uh yeah you know I did really well in that meditation there's like oh wow there's more depth there that I didn't know I had access to and that's it's a very subtle appreciation of um of your body in space and there's no right way to do it there's no, there's no right thing each time it's going to be different and you yeah, just don't know what's going to come up and that's fine and you know that the fact that you're showing up things are happening those cogs are moving and momentum is happening and it allows you to have access to your in- intelligence in a balanced way and you have access to being more being kinder being more compassionate to people and situations and that's what it's all about really it's being able to be in the world and accept that things have happened and your nervous system has responded in certain ways and but you still have to go out in the world and engage and interact and have relationships with everything around you but you want to come from a place of peace within yourself and connection and happiness so I suppose to me that's what meditation brings to me all those things just seem to flow and are more in alignment I don't think I'd be a very nice person if I didn't meditate (laughs) I don't think I was a particularly nice person before I meditated I was on the surface I was very good at people pleasing but I didn't have very nice thoughts towards people and situations no it's a bit like a rebellious aggressive um moody teenager (laughs) I'm definitely a nice person for meditation um you mentioned um briefly that um you're now delving into these or a lot of new ideas are coming up in relation to things beyond this world in during meditation that is not just limited to uh, yeah maybe you can explain a little further but the here and now and something beyond is coming up within your meditations and well, maybe you can say a bit more about this, that this is where it gets a bit hippie <laughs> we want the conversation to go this way yeah, we want the conversation <laughs> to go anyway yeah. i suppose what i mean by that is that you get a sense of who you are as a soul and i know that's a bit crazy and hippie-ish to a lot of people to even think about yourself as a soul but you know, you are a soul housing a body and you get to know your soul a little bit and you get a sense, a quality of what it's been through or where, on, where, where it's been on its journey. So I know that my soul isn't a new soul. I know that my soul is an old soul and I get a sense that I've, I've been through this human journey many, many times. And when I say new stuff comes up that's very old, it's almost ancestral stuff comes up. So there are themes that come in. So I know for me, rejection is quite a big theme and it hurts. And I've had many examples through this lifetime of being rejected and having to deal with the sting of that. But knowing that it's not just from this lifetime, it's an ancestral thing means I can deal with it differently as a different perspective and I don't 
beat myself up so much because I know it's an inherited theme. It's not something I've just, a label I've just stuck on myself. It's something I've carried through to learn in this lifetime. And that helps. It helps to know that. It helps to just have a bit of clarity on why I attract certain situations that are repeated again and again. So that's just one example of something that's come in for me, my, my, my meditation where I'm like, ah, oh, it's this rejection again. Okay, been here before. And in, instead of, you know, shaming it or making it wrong, I'm like, ah, oh, this, is, this is an old friend. I'm used to this. How are we going to look at it this time? <laughs> but trying to deal with situations and not just not just go to the knee-jerk response or just stick it on the pain body. You know, it's refreshing when you have something that's an old theme and you don't just Velcro it onto your already very hurt pain body. Yeah. But you can allow it space to, to go somewhere a bit further away than that. Could I ask, before you started meditating, did you believe that we, we were all souls as well? and that we had multiple lives or with some of these with these beliefs or that are now truths for you did they happen as you began to meditate more um I remember being very young I think I was about five years old and I remember I was in my bedroom and I was lying on the bed and I was looking at the sky and I was making, you know, how you make the pictures with the clouds. That was one of, yeah. one of the things I really enjoyed doing as a child. And I was making the dragons and, you know, the turtles and all the things that you make with the clouds. And I remember asking a question and it, it's very clear in my memory. It's a very visceral memory. Wasn't a mate, was that a memory or was that a dream? It was like that happened. And I remember asking the question, why am I here? Mm. And it was and how old were you at this point? I was about five at the about time. Five. And the reason why I felt that that question needed to be asked is because I didn't feel a connection to my family and I didn't feel a connection to the house or the environment that I was in and the peer group at school. I always felt there was something different to me, but I couldn't explain what it was. It was a sense of not belonging but not quite knowing why I didn't belong because I looked like my parents, you know, I sounded like them, but there was this something, this visceral feeling that on a soul level, they weren't akin to me. They weren't one of my kind. And I remember being like very aware of that and then going through getting older and trying to fit in, you know, trying to, be the people pleaser just what do they need from me right I can be that and it worked for a long time as a desire to fit in to... yeah yeah it was a mirror like oh they need this person to be funny I can be funny or they need this person to to you know help more I can help more but then you get to a point where you've betrayed yourself so far you're so far removed from who you are you know with all the good the bad and the ugly that you lose a sense of self and then you have to go very slowly back to who you really are and drop all those um, disguises, I suppose, that you've collected along the way. So I had that sense as a five-year-old that 
there was a bigger picture. I didn't know what the bigger picture was. And it was only in meditation, probably two, three years in that I started to get a sense of who I was at a soul level, not a human level. And that became more important than the human level to me. And then so you say there are themes that you can trace back that come up and that you could perceive as negative perhaps if you were to see them just on a your human here and now level kind of thing rather than on a inherited soul level in on the other flip side of that are there also inherited themes of greater purpose or meaning or reason for why you are here or what your purpose is that come up for meditation if that's it's quite um a big question but do you get sense a sense of um soul purpose coming I up i did and um and i bashed it for a long time i'm the person that knew what i wanted to do as a child but bashed it out of myself until i was in my 40s <laughs> so i'm almost the reverse person okay. so i knew when i was very young the question why am i here that I knew that the way to express myself um, was through my art, through drawing and painting. And I also knew that it was through my voice, but I didn't have a voice. Um, because I didn't belong, didn't fit in, I couldn't talk, I couldn't speak freely. I felt, I almost felt like I was gagged. I couldn't have the views and opinions that I wanted in the house I was living in with the parents I was sharing my life with. And I wasn't listened to. And I, I got so many sore throats. I think I had tonsillitis for about six years when I was a child because my, my throat just, I was just desperate to, to be heard and to speak my truth. And I didn't feel safe to do that. So I filtered it and I watered it down. As I said, I became different, a different person to different people. And so that one side of my purpose was singing. But I, if I tried to sing, I couldn't sing. But there was a frustration because I knew I was a singer. So it was very, it was a weird paradox. I was a singer that couldn't sing. And I was an artist that couldn't paint because I wouldn't give myself permission to follow these purposes. And you mentioned, um, so I've got, yeah, a couple of things going back to who you, who you really are and how meditation mm. can do that, um, peeling away the layers to get to who you really are. And then also what you said earlier about meditation providing space. And you mentioned sometimes you might get inspiration for, um a picture that you might I don't know if you said paints but um a piece of art that you might want to do or you mentioned creativity and things just flowing through you perhaps we could talk a little bit about yeah a little bit more about that and maybe because I know you have started to do art again yeah and and paint so maybe let's talk a bit about that and maybe, yeah, if that has a relationship to the meditation as well. Yeah, with the art, um, I 
when I was at university, I'd, I went for a very vocational degree um, with an art base. And, um, and I remember at the time, um, my ex-husband, he was, he was very threatened by my art. And he said a lot of negative comments about my artwork, which I took on. So I believed him. Comments such as, you can't make money off art, it's too competitive, you're not good enough to do this, you know, don't, it would be a waste of your time to follow this career. And, and as a result, I stopped doing it. So I came out with a teaching degree and didn't pick up my paintbrushes for about 20 years. And it was only when I got divorced and in the process of the divorce where I felt this strong desire to paint and to draw. And I kept on trying to squash it. I'm like, this is not the time to draw pictures. You're going through a very difficult time. You're going through a divorce. Why, why do you want to draw pictures? But the, there was almost an opening of Pandora's box at that time. There was a closing off of, of an old life and a, this this opening of a new life and and I suddenly had all these pictures and I couldn't get through them quick enough and that was the explosive start of of my art and in meditations I was getting pictures coming up and visuals water was a big one you know there's a lot of water in my meditations and I and I feel drawn to painting water I never get bored of that topic and water's emotions, it's creativity, it's movement, it's flow. And so, yeah, I started getting into it. And when I do a painting, there, it's not complete flow. It's like, it's like a life in miniature. For the whole duration of the painting, whether it's 60, 70 hours, it feels like there are parts that flow and then they get stuck. And then I hate the painting and then it flows again. I love the painting and it's constantly transforming and changing. And I, I never quite know where it's going. And it's just allowing myself to, to just flow with that resistance and not try and control it and go, you're an artist. This should just flow from beginning to end because it doesn't work like that. There, there are big bouts of resistance and you're almost trying to overpaint and then there are moments where it's so blissful and it feels so good and I feel almost disembodied that I'm part of the painting and those feelings are amazing um and I'm just I'm finding my voice with that I started singing again as well um when I was little I wanted to be an opera singer um, but as I said I really struggled with my voice because I wasn't using it in an honest way so it was almost like my body couldn't work for me in that way because there was a an exchange of well you're not being honest so you can't sing <laughs> if there was a I just couldn't I couldn't find my voice in that way and, it, and just recently in the just before lockdown I joined a choir and I and I find that my voice is much stronger now than it stronger than it's ever been so it's almost healing itself and I'm again I'm not judging it I'm not trying to go anywhere with the singing it's not I'm not trying to make money from it or there's no agenda I just show up I just show up and I sing and sometimes I sing well sometimes I don't sing as well but there's a 
a drive within me that tells me to go singing even if I'm tired and I'm like oh I don't want to sing tonight I go and I always feel that I've accessed another part of myself what point was it that you said you rejected all these parts of yourself with the singing and art and I'm sure many other parts as well at what point was it that you began to accept them and now you allow them and you find your voice and your creativity well I had a very strong father figure who was ex-army and he was a practical person and he believed that we needed vocational work something that was tangible that were bringing money he didn't really get creativity I don't know whether he was a creative person underneath I never saw that side of him but what I found found out much later on in life um, before he passed is that his mum's brother was a very creative man and he was um, Sir Walter Greenwood and he's famous for writing novels like Love on the Dole. And I studied this novel at school and I had no idea he was my great, great uncle. So he wrote novels. He was a filmmaker. He was an artist. He was a poet. He was all the things that felt very natural for me. But he had um, my, my dad had uh, disagreements with him because he became a self-made millionaire and my my family were very poor my dad was very poor and his his mum was very poor and he didn't put any money back into the family he kept the money for himself and he married an American woman and my dad was very angry with him so he kept that information from myself and my siblings for years he didn't share that so we didn't know that that was a part of our history that this very creative um, man was in our family and then things started to make sense because I would look at my mom and my dad and go well, where where has this come from because they're not like me you know they don't share a passion for music or art or um, movement they just I can't see that in them so I was looking at parents trying to find a commonality and there wasn't one there so in order to be people pleasing to fit in I squashed that part of myself down because I could also see that my dad wasn't happy when I expressed myself in that way but my siblings are also very creative my brother is a very clever graphic designer he's a poet you know he um he's an MC, you know, he's, he has all that side of him. And my older brother is a beautiful writer. And my sister is one of the cleverest people I know. She's so switched on her synapses are so fast. And, you know, she'd make an incredible businesswoman. There's so much, so many qualities and so many strengths. Um, so I suppose that I feel more integrated now. I've allowed that information to sit in my body and I've and I've made peace with who I am and where I fit into that family model so late, better late than never <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and talking of families so you have uh well you're now a mum to yes. a four-year-old <laughs> little boy or almost gonna almost soon to be four, four next month yeah crazy do you want to talk a little bit about your journey into motherhood? Yeah, motherhood for me was a bit strange because I 
I felt very um, maternal with my younger brother and sister because my my dad took a back seat. My mom was mentally ill. So um, with there being 10 years between myself and, me young, and my younger brother and sister, I naturally took on more of a maternal role. So I felt that I became a parent when I was about 11. And so when I got married, I didn't have a strong desire to be a mum because I already felt like I was a mum and had been since I was a child. So the natural desire to have my own children wasn't there for me at all. I felt like I should be feeling that, you know, I felt like what's wrong with me, I should want children. But my ex-husband wasn't massively keen on having children anyway, so it just slipped away. And then when we got divorced, I met my current partner quite quickly afterwards, and he really wanted to be a dad. And I was, you know, I think I was about 41 at that point, and I really didn't think it was going to happen because... I said to myself, you know, we'll, we'll try, we'll try naturally. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Well, when you have that kind of non-attached viewpoint, it does happen. And I found myself pregnant with my son. And initially I was scared because I didn't see myself as someone who would have children at that age. So I had all those belief systems to work through. I also felt a little bit resentful because my life was just beginning to take flight with the things that I'd been allowing myself to do over the years. And so there was a, there was a little bit of resentment there thinking, well, I've kind of done the mum thing with my brother and sister and I don't really need to do it. But then when I had him, it was a whole game changer. <laughs> no, I'd massively in love with him I'm probably over parent though I the love that you feel for your child is just you know you can't really explain it it's so it's so intense and there was a period of time where I felt that I could really communicate with him without words you know I knew what he was thinking and feeling and now he's branched off into nursery I don't have that same bond in the same way because he's becoming more of his own person and he's being opened up to new influences and experiences and I'm having to get to know him every day and seek to get to know him not just put the label of I know you and this is you because he's changing week by week and that's a challenge for me because with the parenting every day is different and you have to get to know them every day you have to be present and show up and look at them like what's going on for them today what what what's inspired them what have they struggled with what are the challenges and um yeah I and I I want to show up in that way because I never had that I never had that level of parenting for myself so to me, it's really important that I see him and I just don't, I don't just take him for granted and have him in my environment. And, but I actually really see him at that level. And if I see him at that level once in a day, then I feel that that's good. That's a good thing. And on a practical note, as well as um, non-practical note, how did meditation, um, fit in or how did your meditation practice um, change or adapt when you had him on a practical note that like how did you even have 
time <laughs> as a mother and a new mother yeah. to um, continue a meditation practice and to be you know very um, consistent with it and then emotionally a sort of a mentally how did it affect your um, approach to motherhood well when when he was born um, there were some health issues and it wasn't an easy child child um, labor um, I had a c-section go wrong and off the back of that I lost too much blood and I, I was I got very sick actually at 12 months I was sick for 16 months straight and I just pedaled through chest infections um, ear infections bladder infections and the lining of my tongue came away so we had we had a challenging start and um I stopped doing meditation for a few weeks and I realized quite quickly that the meditation was even more important than the sleep. So I would wake up in the, you know, I was feeding him every three hours. I'd wake up and I made sure that I give him the milk and change his nappy and just hold him on me and meditate whilst I was holding him. So I felt better with every meditation so the meditation practice for me became non-negotiable because I realized I was healing at a very deep level at a time when I was going through these health challenges so yeah it became even more important and he knows you know I set my alarm half an hour before we have to get up to get ready for nursery and he knows I'm meditating and he might come over to me and move my hair or sit on top of me or all the things that children do but he knows that I won't speak and I won't come out to my meditation until the bell goes and sometimes he sits with me sometimes he distracts me sometimes he just goes off to his own bed and sighs like a teenager <laughs> but it's non-negotiable and it's something I've done since he was a tiny baby the the second meditations in the evening I find I actually find those harder because I feel that they're taking me away from my downtime so I have to be disciplined with those and I'd say some nights when I'm really not feeling the second one I just honor that and go you know what's fine I'll do my morning one so my my partner's very he's he's very religious with his he'll do his morning in um, evening non-negotiable um, but I will let the second one go here and there depending on you know if I'm going to choir or I'm going to tango or meeting friends so yeah before we move on to the quick fire questions is there anything that we that you else is there anything else that you'd like to talk about or is there anything that we should have asked but didn't Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, I suppose in terms of squiggly lights, I, you know, I didn't um, go the normal conventional route and I tried lots of different things, even though I knew that I was an artist. You know, so there is that. Like I, I learned, I, I strengthened aspects of myself that were not naturally strong. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, which I wouldn't have done if I'd have just gone for the passions. And was that purely to to fit in to to where you, whichever yeah. environment you were? Yeah, yeah. I I I did. I was in the corporate world. I um, taught English as a foreign language, so I really did things that were not natural or easy for me. 
And that taught me resilience. It taught me that if I work hard, I can still meet the goal, even if that goal is not natural or passionate. And there, there, you know, there are good things to that. Now it's, if I had gone the artistic route, maybe I would be a famous artist now and it would, I, the money would be there and the fame would be there. Maybe, who knows, it's a different path, but I took the path of adversity. I took the path away from myself. But on a level, I always knew I'd come back to myself. So there was a, I let myself go all the way, all the way over there, but not to the point where I couldn't get myself back. So, yeah. yeah. All paths, uh, all paths lead to home, essentially. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. Um, okay. So quick fire questions. Our first one is, in one word, what does the phrase finding your purpose mean to you? I suppose the word that comes up for me is journey, because it is a journey. Whether you find your purpose or not, or you think you found your purpose and it's not your purpose, or you change your mind and it's not your purpose, <laughs> the whole thing's a journey and there's no... There's no getting to the destination. It's just constantly changing and transforming and evolving. So, journey. I'm glad you brought that up. Okay. <laughs> what is the one book that you would love to share with as many people as possible? This one's difficult because there are so many books at certain junctures in my life that have been life-changing and come to me at the right time. And, but I'm not those people anymore. <laughs> so if I would go to a current book that I've been reading that I found was particularly um, inspiring or made me think about things in a slightly different way, I would say Sadhguru's book on karma. Because it, the depth in the book, the way he explains things it's always going to sit with the reader differently depending on their journey or depending on where they are. So you'll get from that book what you're meant to get. And I really felt that there was a, a purity and, and a consciousness to that read that I didn't want to rush through it. I wanted to let the words sink and let the energy sink into myself. So I would sometimes do a sentence a day and just sit with that. But I, I haven't read a book before where I felt that. Our next question is, how would you like to be remembered? As somebody who's herself, <laughs> who knows herself, knows her own mind, unapologetic, strong, but passionate, kind, where the soul starts to come through the personality. And people can see a glimpse of that and it gives them permission to do the same. If you had to give someone one piece of advice or quotes about finding your purpose, what would this be? I've always liked the Rumi uh, quote, what you seek is seeking you. Because I think as much as, you know, you throw the ball away, um, you don't always get the ball thrown back, but you don't chase the ball either. I think that when you come into alignment with yourself and you're in a, a wholesome space, then that thing that you are seeking, even if you're not aware of what you're seeking, it will come to you 
in opportunities. So I think, yeah, I, I always think about that quote is it's letting go, it's being proactive, it's taking action, it's letting the waves of opportunity come in. It's everything to me, that quote. Beautiful way to end, I think. And I was going to ask just quickly one more thing, which we can edit into the main bit. Yeah. I just wanted to ask about, so for anyone that doesn't meditate, mm. like to start, where would you advise, what's, what can they do right now to start? Like, where do you, how do you start a meditation practice? I would say that start, oh, I think if you want the stuff to come out the nervous system and to bubble off and to really get some momentum with dealing with not just this lifetime's um, challenges but previous ones I'd go straight to Vedic meditation for that just go straight in to the 20 minutes twice a day going to a you know reputable teacher Vedic practitioner so go to find a teacher first. go, go mm -hmm. to find a teacher get the mantra but then after time and I toy around with this idea see it as a raft and you'll get to a point in your life where you won't need the Vedic meditation anymore because you'll meditate from within yourself. And I think it's just taking something that's going to get you going and you'll get to a certain point and you'll know when it's time to, where you don't, you don't need the guided meditations or the meditations from Dispenser or Sufism or Veda, but the meditation will just come from your own internal um, nervous system if you keep going <laughs> in time and I and I toy with the idea of dropping my Vedic meditation as well I do think am I ready yet to just let go of that and just sit with my own meditation it will come when the time's right um and then so it's a mantra based meditation but for those for me personally I haven't got access to um a meditation teacher where I live um is it something you can start by yourself it's not something you can start by yourself because they give you a Sanskrit sound which has a, a level of consciousness to it okay and um as you're saying this sound twice a day you're raising your consciousness to a point where the layers start to come off but if you can't get to a teacher, they do a lot of Zoom courses now. So they do the, the Zoom teaching. <laughs> I think with that one, you feel you're going forward. And with the other meditations, they are amazing, but they do different things. They're good at relaxing or they're good at um, healing organs or they're increasing your energy or pranic energy. But it's not quite the same as from what I found in my experience is what the Vedic meditation gives you yeah okay thank you thanks Claire I'm glad you asked that one yeah I, I meant to, to ask earlier on yeah. <laughs> all right shall yeah. we we'll come to a close all right thank you so much Lily for coming on thank you for having me I really enjoyed it thank you thank you I love that conversation completely inspiring that was 
definitely what I needed today. It was just a lot of things um, that I needed to hear and it's just refreshed me. I do I do love the meditation I can just talk about it all day thanks for listening to the squiggly lives podcasts with your hosts Helena and Claire head over to our website squigglylives.com to subscribe and hear more shows that's all for this episode see you next time